0: We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Uh, Chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This has become particularly precious to me over the last uh, few weeks that I've studied. You all have been on my mind, and I think you're going to see why. Um, But as we enter into this time in the Word this morning, let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning in faith and expectation, for we desire to know you and we believe that we'll hear from you. We gather together to worship you and hear from your word because you have commanded it, but also because our souls need the community of these saints and strength from your bread. Spirit, preach a sermon worthy of Christ, for it's in his name we pray, amen. I also want to acknowledge before we get started that this is the fifth Sunday of the month. For those of you without kids, you don't know what that means. For those of you with kids, you're very much aware Fifth Sunday is when we have a lot more kids than normal in here. And so if any of your kids ever throughout the sermon ask when is he gonna be done, just keep answering soon. He'll be done soon, okay? He'll be done soon. But we're in Acts chapter six, uh, starting in verse one, going through verse seven. In God's providence, this is the shortest passage of all of our time in the book of Acts. I'd like to say that's why I picked it, but but the truth is is that this is a wonderful passage because it it plays at a very important point in the book of Acts. Um, It serves us today by, by providing us with powerful insight in what it means to be the church when you boil it down to its essence. We've come to understand so far in our time in Acts that the church is characterized by boldness, right? by boldness and dependence and reliance on the Spirit. And the early church here, at this point, chapter 6, is very young. It's very young, and it's about to face great difficulty and oppression. It's it's about to be scattered. We're going to see the beginnings of this next week. It's about to be scattered and take the gospel farther than it's ever gone before. And so Luke, knowing that this is about to happen, uses these verses to codify what a church should look like, should it need to be replicated. And we know, if we know the rest of Acts, it's going to need to be replicated. The first few words of the chapter actually even give us kind of a clue of this, um, that, that, that Luke is going to use this passage to help us understand how the church is going to begin to organize as it spreads. We'll see this this morning, that God gives leaders to the church to ensure the centrality of the ministry of care and the preeminence of his gospel. So as we get started here, let's read our passage. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, and Nicolaus, a, pros- a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the, de- the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A quick word before we get going in this passage. This passage often comes up in a discussion about uh, deacons, the, the office that the Apostle Paul will reference later in his pastoral epistles, and, and this, this is rightly so. The, this passage helps delineate the role between the, the, the role of the deacon on one hand and the role of the, the pastor, the elder on the other hand. And in God's providence, there is certainly a connection between the seven men here that we're going to talk about and the office that Paul is going to reference later. But in this particular passage, the apostles seem to be more interested in making a different kind of point, which we're going to see as we go. So our time today isn't going to delve into the specific office of deacon, but is going to treat the narrative here just as we kind of see it. So with that disclaimer, we want to orient ourselves and we need to see this, this passage within the rhythm of this section of Acts. So to, if we were going to break up the book of Acts, this would be like the end of the first section. Okay? And there's a rhythm, if you begin to look at this section, um, where, where we have these zoom in. It's kind of like we, we have this quick look into, here's the, an intimate view into the life of the church, almost like under a microscope. And then we begin to zoom out. We have another passage that's going to zoom out and take a look at the church in its broader context, especially the interactions with the Jewish faith from which it comes. So Luke has structured this as this like a zoom in and then a zoom out. By the way, this passage we see today is a zoom in passage. Okay? Last week was a zoom out passage. Actually, next week is going to be a transition point, but it's another zoom out passage. And, and so we zoom in, we see the life of the body, we zoom out, and we see kind of here's the context in the world, which the world at this point is, is really only the Jewish faith interaction with, with, with Jewish leaders, and it's centered all in Jerusalem. So even the zoom out at this point, we haven't zoomed out all the way, but next week, the, the, the violence and persecution that the early church faces is going to begin to spill over, and it's going to force the scattering of this church to, to go farther, much farther than, than just this, this one location in Jerusalem, and it's going to indicate and, and, and perpetuate a new stage of church, the church's growth. So Luke gives us, so we should savor this, because Luke gives us this one last look at the church and what it was like in a single geographic location. At this time, there are thousands of Christians, right? Probably 10,000, perhaps even more, And these in, in this immediate area of Jerusalem. And those numbers, as we saw last week, are even beginning to swell as news of this movement begins to reach other people. More people are coming, even, even hoping to be healed. And, but despite this small geographic area, this distribution here is still, because there are so many people, it makes the distribution in verse 1 Very difficult. It's a daunting undertaking. These brothers and sisters have been devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and have been engaging in deep fellowship with each other. We saw specific instances two two weeks ago and then further back in Acts chapter 2 of the sacrificial giving of believers, selling their possessions, sharing with all who had need. And here in chapter 6, right, we've seen the the generosity. Now in chapter 6, we get to see... The distribution of some of these resources, and we know from earlier in Acts that this generosity is partly due to the new the, the joy that the new believers have found in their faith, and that's certainly the case. But there's actually a second, somewhat more implied uh, explanation here. This generosity that we see in Acts chapter that we've seen before, and we see the distribution of in Acts chapter six, is is really what a basic piece of what it meant to be a faithful Jew. And therefore, in the minds of these early believers, what it meant to be a faithful Christian. The daily distribution here is a demonstration of this. The law and the prophets are full of commands to honor and to provide for widows and orphans, and even warnings in the Old Testament like Exodus 22, warnings against what's going to happen if they neglect Widows and orphans, or oppress them, or fail to give them justice. Psalm 68 God calls himself the father of the fatherless, the protector of the widow. The widow. So then, to deny the widow justice is, is actually to make war against her protector, the God of heaven. So, care of the vulnerable and needy was precious to early Christians because they understood this truth that the people of God are their brothers keepers. They saw continuity between the ethics of the old and new covenants. Therefore, care is central to the life and practice of the church because God continually reminds us of the hurting, the downcast, the marginalized, the needy, and the suffering. Those that seem the easiest to forget are actually those to whom the Lord is said to be closest. So, Going back here to verse one, then the problem of the widows being neglected is actually appears even more alarming. They haven't received what they needed, okay, but they also haven't received what the community would say is just and good. These widows are described here as Hellenists, which means that they are Greek-speaking Jews, and more than just speaking Greek, which really was not like a novel thing at that time. These these Hellenistic Jews were Jews that had, had, had likely been among the diaspora, that is, the scattering of Jews among the Greek world, okay? And some here had, of course, returned back to Israel, Jerusalem in this case. They're ethnically and religiously Jewish, but culturally would have been somewhat Greek. They're contrasted here with the Hebrews, okay? We've got the Hellenists, and we've got the Hebrews. The Hebrews here are also Jews. They're also Jews, but they're Jews that had historically, and perhaps even for generations, lived in the the vicinity of of Jerusalem and and within the the region of Israel, okay? Remember, this is God's promised land. So people who are Hebrews here, so for some, this this was even a status thing, Okay, we see Paul talk about that in Philippians 3, verse 5. He, in his, he calls it his fleshly boasting. He says, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So, a, so a, a, a Hebrew, right, a Jew who would consider, consider themselves a Hebrew might view themselves as more faithful than this other kind of Jew, right, as if there's two kinds, this Hellenistic Jew who had spent time in, in, in the larger Greek and Roman world. Again, a part from the promised land of God. And this cultural divide here that we see at the beginning of of chapter six is so noticeable in this situation and the omission of this one group is so obvious that when we hear, when we see complaint, okay, we should almost understand this to be like an accusation. It's almost this kind of accusation of like, so hold on a second. So you're saying that this is how it's going to be? So there's like, You all over here, like the elite, okay? And then there's like just the rest of us? Like, is that why you're treating us this way? Like how else were they going to interpret this situation, right? So the issue is not merely an isolated lack of care. It's not just a few people who were left off. It's this specific group of people. It's this feeling of discrimination, of other, of, of, of lesser than, of separate from, of singled out. And I want to take just a moment and speak to you this morning, if if for you, that feels like a, a more present than distant reality, because perhaps you've experienced hurt in the body of Christ, okay? Not, we might expect to be hurt out in the world, but perhaps you've experienced hurt within the body of Christ, because perhaps it's been an absence or a gap in care, or because perhaps even... You've been actively injured or abused by a believer or even a pastor. And let me just say say this to you now. I am so, so sorry. I am so sorry. In being singled out or being left out, your experience in the body of Christ has been so far from the ideal that God has put forth end to end in the whole of Scripture for the people of God. Let me affirm, God's people should care for God's people. God's people should love God's people without reservation or holding back. Let me say you're hurt, it matters. Whether recent or in the distant past, it matters. It matters to Jesus and it matters to this church right here, it matters. And at the end of my sermon, I'm gonna ask you to, to press in, but for now, just hold with me, stay with me as we look at the, the response of the apostles. Upon hearing of the complaint, verse 2, the apostles, the, the apostles summoned, says that, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Perhaps some of you, like me, Come at this from kind of the business world, okay? Kind of from the workplace, and you you look at this meeting and you absolutely love this efficiency, okay? This is this is awesome. This is like the, this is the best meeting ever, okay? Hands down, in, out, two minutes, no sweat. This is great. The problem comes up, they and, and it's solved, right? And it actually, the quickness of that should catch our attention okay because it's in contrast with the assembly that we see much later in acts chapter 15 okay they're very similar and yet also quite different in acts 15 there's just like acts 6 there's a dispute and that dispute goes to the assembly before the apostles but in acts 15 there is there's debate okay there's there's debate and there's discussion because the the decision to be made doesn't feel quite clear, but not so here in Acts chapter 6. There's no no debate, there's no discussion, there's no open forum. The, The apostles don't hold a hearing to argue the merits of do we care for people or do we not, right? Why? Because the centrality of care And the expectation of ministry within the body of Christ is so ingrained in the identity of these believers already that providing care is a foregone conclusion. If it be true that care and ministry are failing to happen in some way, this this just cannot be so. It must be corrected. To do otherwise is, is just intolerable. So this resolution of lapse in care here is expedited so that these women can be ministered to swiftly. But perhaps in your mind, you, you were paying attention in verse two, and the last part of verse two is sort of troubling to you, okay? The very last one, the, the statement made by the apostles, perhaps this statement sounds almost derogatory, okay? Derogatory toward the needs of these marginalized women. And we imagine, perhaps you imagine them sneering, like, are you kidding me? I don't have time out of my take out of my busy schedule to go and wait on tables, Or perhaps we picture an Ebenezer Scrooge pastor who begrudges anyone who knocks on his study door. And let me just just quickly relieve you of, of that tension. Let me just quickly relieve that. So first of all, first of all, Jesus served tables, right? And more than that, he served the tables of these apostles. These men would not have been so quick to forget that their Lord had served tables That they would somehow speak and denigrate or in some way like not want to serve these these people. Commentators agree that this statement is used by the apostles to express their God-given role within the body. Without denying or insulting the needs of of these women and the the need for hospitality, care, and generosity. Verse 4 even restates this just in case that there was any doubt the apostles understand that their responsibility is is the preaching of the word and, and bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus and leading out in preaching and teaching boldly about the kingdom of Christ, which now reigns upon the earth. So just as care and ministry are central, so just as the ministry of care is central to the life of the body, okay, so also is the ministry of the word preeminent. To use the image of a physical body here, okay? The ministry of care is like, is, is like the muscles and the bones. It, it gives structure. It gives movement. It flexes, okay? It, it gives structure. But the ministry of the Word, with its, pro, with its focus on the proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is the blood that flows through the veins, giving life and vibrance and sustenance, The apostles understood that a body without the proclaimed gospel in its veins would be dead no matter how much care they could conjure up from that corpse. The ministry of care is central. And the ministry of the word is preeminent. The provision of these seven men to lead the care and ministry of the church is one of the ways in which the apostles ensure the centrality of care in the life of the body. So we must see this leadership by the apostles is, a, is an embrace of the importance of care, okay? It's an embrace of the importance of care, not an abdication of the need to lead. So let me say this to you this morning. Emmaus, your pastors love you. They love you. And I don't say that because they've asked me to, okay? And I don't say that because I'm an elder candidate. I say it because I know it, because I've seen it. I've seen their care for you in some cases. I've heard about their care to you, in, even from you. But also, even more than that, I've experienced it. I've been encouraged and rebuked and taught in corporate worship here and also in private. My family has been comforted in, in hard times. Your pastors love you. The ministries of Emmaus exist to fully express the manifold ministry of the Spirit, multiplying the effects of any one pastor many times over. So the ministries of Emmaus are extensions of the elders' care, okay? Not the elders' attempt to somehow insulate themselves. So here... Back in Acts 6, the gathered disciples do what the apostles ask of them. They set aside these seven men, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicolaus. These men are known by the assembly of the disciples, and they meet the qualifications. First of all, they're men of good repute. This is similar to Paul's words in Timothy, that elders be above reproach, that deacons be worthy of respect and sincere, the implication is if they are to minister effectively within the body, and the context of the surrounding community, there should be no sin or a tendency that's going to create barriers or distract from care and ministry. Secondly, there must be men who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, having received the Holy Spirit at their conversion and possessing wisdom to actually carry out the ministry. But we should say a couple of words about these men selected. The first two, especially, because the others we don't don't seem to hear about again. But if we've read this book of Acts, we know of these two men, Stephen and Philip. They're going to become very familiar to us over the next few weeks. Stephen is going to become the first recorded martyr, dying for his bold proclamation of the gospel in the face of escalating violence and persecution. And Philip, Philip is going to become the first recorded evangelist, It will be responsible for the gospel being taken to Africa for the first time. And so this is important. And see this significance because chapter 6 opens, okay? And in the first three verses, it sounds like, it sounds like there is an administrative problem with an administrative solution. Just plug the, the, the solution right there into the problem. Done, right? But knowing the eventual fate of these two men reveals the sovereign hand of God. Not simply working through the church to solve a ministry problem, okay? But working by the prompting of the Spirit to equip the church with leaders. As the church is going to soon face its first round of widespread, vicious persecution, these leaders will be important examples of of the endurance and boldness found in the Holy Spirit. The qualifications of these men then in verse 3 actually come to be understood as prophetic. Stephen, so full of the Holy Spirit, experiences supernatural peace and receives a glorious vision of the Father and the Son, the glory of the Father and the Son before he's murdered for his good witness. And then later, Philip, so full of the Holy Spirit, sees the Ethiopian eunuch saved by his witness and baptized in the most improbably remote location ever, only to be immediately whisked away by the power of the Spirit. Secondly, about these men, and this is important, each of them can easily identify with the offense felt by these Hellenistic widows because they themselves are Hellenists. To a man, the names listed here are Greek, emphasizing their identification with that people. So when these men are selected. The assembly intentionally chose men from this marginalized minority group to lead the ministry of distribution for the entire body. The entire body. They weren't just a stopgap for this over here. This is for the entire body. This is like a massive social reversal, isn't it? It's like the most redeemed form of poetic justice. So, Okay, so, so you're the ones who have been marginalized, who have been pressed to the side, who have been experienced some sort of discrimination or lack of care. Okay, great. Now you are going to be in charge of all of the care for everybody. Okay? All of the care for everybody. But here's the beauty. Okay? Here's the beauty. Because of their closeness to the experience of the marginalized, indeed, being marginalized themselves, it would have been intolerable to these men that others would again experience the absence of care from believers or would be excluded from the full benefits of Christian fellowship. These men feel this conviction. It's intolerable. It's unimaginable. It's unacceptable. Now, listen, any believer, right, any believer probably would have looked at the situation with the widows and said, okay, this isn't right. But now, to these men, it's personal. Care and ministry here become personal. And we see this in the local church even today. So go and, go and talk to a director of one of our ministries or go and talk to a community group leader and you're gonna quickly see that ministry is personal to them. For example, we all want people to feel welcomed when they come into Emmaus, don't we? We all want them to be greeted, feel like they belong. If they're not connected in some way, we want to get them connected. We all feel this way, don't we? But go and talk to one of the volunteers in our hospitality ministry. You're going to find that it is personal to them in a really special way. The thought of not welcoming or ministering to visitors or members to them is particularly intolerable. Like it doesn't even compute as a possible like, acceptable solution, right? And consider all the other ministries at at Emmaus. Facilities, kids, students, production, communication, security, community groups, membership, the institute, men's and women's ministries. These exist because we believe that care and ministry within the church is central to the life of the church. It's not up for debate. A lapse of care and ministry to us would be intolerable. And let me just say a quick word to ministry leaders, to directors, to to coordinators. I just want to tell you this morning, thank you for your commitment to this body and to the specific ministries and volunteers that you lead. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity of time, energy, and love. And to our community group leaders, you're close to my heart. Thank you for the care that you provide and the space that you facilitate to allow people to be known and for the gospel to be pressed deeply into each other by the community of faith. And finally, verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Verse 7 here is evidence that the church is progressing along in the power of the Spirit. The apostles blessed and commissioned the raised up leaders so that the pillars of the ministry of care and the ministry of the word would be supported. The ministry of care through these seven men remained central. The ministry of the word through the preaching of the apostles remained preeminent. Brothers and sisters, this growth isn't, it's not transactional and it's not automatic, but at the same time, Luke doesn't apologize for tying the commitment to care and devotion to the gospel directly to the growth of the church. And we shouldn't apologize for it either. This was the answer, wasn't it? When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, what was the answer? The greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind, the preeminence of the word. And then what's the second command? To love your neighbor as yourself. This is the ministry of care. We preach the word, we care, we minister for the purpose of declaring and displaying the gospel and to love each other well all the way to the promised land. We care, we minister in humility, okay? In humility, knowing that we minister to each other only by the power of the Spirit who has, who has changed and redeemed our hearts and now strengthens our hands. We believe that we care for one another and our gathering around the word, rightly preached, we believe that, that caring and gathering will result in the multiplication of God's people here and around the world. And perhaps here at this point, you're, you, you, you come and you say, I, I don't know if I know this Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, perhaps you're wondering why. Why of all things would we come to church and hear a sermon about church, right? Right? Because that's what this has been. It's a sermon about church at church. Simply put, this is our family. This is our family. These are the people to whom we belong. Our deepest hope and faith is in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we gather. This is why we sing. This is why we confess. This is why we preach. This is why we disciple our kids and each other. Because Jesus, the Son of God, died for sins, specifically our sins. And more than that, was raised from the dead. And you can be forgiven and enter the blessed family of God. This wonderful gift is offered to you today, right now, as you sit, as I speak to you, and the Spirit works within you. The Father desires to save you, to place His Spirit within you, and adopt you as his son or daughter, if you will but come to him and place your faith in Jesus. Please, this morning, come to Jesus. Two final exhortations to believers. First, make the word and prayer preeminent in your life out of your utter dependence on Jesus. Seek to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Make corporate worship a centerpiece for your family, using sermons you hear each week to disciple your kids or your, even your own hearts. Perhaps you are in, hopefully you're in a community group, and, and as you approach community group, before you go, prepare your heart. Prepare your heart with asking these questions, considering how the Spirit has used this week's sermon to to stir your affections for God and his people and how your heart needs to be refined by the scriptures. Find time to pray and confess your sins in utter dependence on the grace of God. And secondly, to believers, give yourself to the ministry of care within the body of Christ. Care and be cared for. Give generously of yourself to minister to others in this body. Find those who feel far off and distant, and welcome them in. If you are a member here and you're not actively serving in one of our ministries, let me just invite you into the joy that it is to minister to brothers and sisters. And even today, I told you I'd get back to you. Even today, if you feel that you've been wronged by the church, maybe this church, maybe wronged by believers in your past, Please, let us care for you. Let us care for you. Let us know you're hurt. Trust us with your hurt. Trust Jesus with your hurt. Let us minister to you. If this morning you need, you feel that you need a pastor's care, your pastor's desire to walk with you, and they desire to see you cared for, both by them and also, and especially by this body. The Lord delights to grow his church through the faithful commitment of his people to his word and to loving each other generously and without holding back. As you pray for our church, pray for this generosity and commitment and pray that the Lord would add to us daily those who are being saved. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.